At the school I work at, we have a diverse student population. It seems like someone is always celebrating something at any given time throughout the year. I've been able to learn a little about Ramadan, Eid, and Diwali from students as they fast in my library, or wear special outfits. In December alone, we will have kids celebrating Christmas, Hanukkah, Boxing Day, Kwanzaa, and Feast Day. While Christmas still dominates the hallways of many schools, the teachers in a community like the one I work in do a nice job of making everyone feel important and included. As I was going about the process of pulling all of my various holiday-themed books for the month, it got me thinking about some of the interesting traditions that different cultures have when it comes to Christmas in particular. In my home, the closest thing we have to a tradition is the elf on the shelf. Luckily, my children are teenagers now. And while their elf still moves around and leaves occasional treats, he also just sometimes chills in the same spot for a few nights in a row. The elf on the shelf tradition is relatively new. I believe ours arrived in 2009. We have a mom from Georgia and her two daughters to thank for that. In 2005, they wrote a book together detailing their family tradition. The book became a huge sensation, and 18 years later, millions of families all over the world have an elf of their own. Many of the traditions we'll learn about in this episode started from folk tales and legends that are hundreds of years old. While they may have twisted and turned over time, the core idea is still largely intact. Like the elf on the shelf, these two most likely started with one person or one family and quickly spread. Episode 64, The Yule Lads, Krampus, and Christmas Around the World. We'll begin our journey in the Ukraine, where we find that a spider is at the center of their Christmas lore. The exact origins of the Christmas spider remain unknown. It's believed to have come from either Germany or Ukraine. In some European countries, including Germany, Ukraine, and Poland, finding a spider or a spider's web on a Christmas tree is considered to be good luck. Although Germans will tell you that it does not include black spiders. Many in that region also believe that it's bad luck to destroy a spider's web before the spider is safely out of the way. The basic story of the Christmas spider goes like this. A poor but hard-working widow once lived in a small hut with her children. One summer day, a pinecone fell on the earthen floor of the hut and took root. The widow's children cared for the tree, excited at the prospect of having a Christmas tree by winter. The tree grew, but when Christmas Eve arrived, they could not afford to decorate it. The children sadly went to bed and fell asleep. Early the next morning, they woke up and saw the tree covered with cobwebs. When they opened the windows, the first rays of sunlight touched the webs and turned them into gold and silver. The widow and her children were overjoyed. From then on, they never lived in poverty again. Variations of the story have Santa Claus arriving, and seeing the spider's hard work but fearing the children will be afraid of a web-covered tree, he changes the webs into tinsel. Many people think that this is where tinsel comes from, that it represents spider webs. Side note, early tinsel was made of lead. Lead foil was a popular material used for tinsel in the early 1900s. Since lead doesn't tarnish, it maintains its shine. Lead tinsel was phased out after the 1960s 
due to the concern that it exposed children to a risk of lead poisoning. Our Ukrainian friends love spiders so much that they also create small Christmas tree ornaments in the shape of a spider, something they call pavuchki, which translates to little spiders. They are typically made of paper and wire. They also decorate Christmas trees with artificial spider webs. Over in Italy, Italian Christmases are celebrated with a witch that loves wine and sausages. On the eve of the Epiphany, January 5th, families all around Italy leave out a glass of wine and a plate of sausages for a woman named La Bafana. Like Santa Claus, La Bafana uses the chimney, although unlike old Saint Nick, she uses a broom to get around, not reindeer. La Bafana is rooted in Christianity. The legend says that the old woman was approached by the three wise men a few days before the birth of Jesus. They asked the woman for directions to where the Son of God was, as they had seen his star in the sky. She wasn't able to tell them, but did provide them with shelter for the night. The three wise men were so impressed with her housekeeping skills and caring nature that they invited her to join them on the journey to find baby Jesus. Unfortunately, she was so busy with housework that she declined the invitation. It was a decision she instantly regretted. After a change of heart, she attempted to track down the men and baby Jesus, but to no avail. So reportedly, La Bafana is searching for baby Jesus to this day. In her search, she leaves all the good children toys and candy or fruit. The naughty ones get coal or sticks, dark candy or onions. Being the amazing housekeeper she is, after her wine and sausages, she will typically sweep the floor before she leaves. For believers, this represents the sweeping away of the year's problems. La Bafana resembles an old hag in a black shawl, covered in soot from all the chimneys she's in and out of. She's often illustrated as smiling and carrying a bag or hamper filled with candy and gifts. In my ancestral home of Finland, folks spend a lot of time inside of saunas. It's the only Finnish word that doesn't change after translation. According to This is Finland, it is estimated that there are 3 million saunas in Finland, for a population of 5.5 million. The health benefits of a sauna include detoxification, increased metabolism, weight loss, increased blood circulation, pain reduction, anti-aging, skin rejuvenation, improved cardiovascular function, improved immune function, improved sleep, stress management, and relaxation. For many Finnish folk, the sauna is the most special room in the house. It represents health and well-being. The sauna is woven into the fabric of who they are as a people. The sauna, or sauna as it's pronounced in Finland, has been around in some form for centuries. The water hits the hot stones and gives off steam known as lolu. Each individual sauna comes with its own unique lolu. Did you work hard all day? Sit in a sauna and feel the aches in your back disappear. Is it a little chilly outside? Sit in a sauna. Giving birth? Sauna. Need a little premarital purification? Sauna. A loved one passed away? Prepare their bodies for burial in a, you guessed it, sauna. So it should come as no surprise that saunas have a role in Christmas time festivities as well. On Christmas Eve in Finland, it's customary to strip naked and take a long and respectful stay in the sauna. While in the sauna, it is possible that you might be visited by long-gone relatives, and maybe even the sauna elf. It's believed that after your Christmas Eve sauna session, while you meet up with friends and family to celebrate the holiday, the spirits of your ancestors take their place inside your sauna. 
With them could be your Sana Elf, pronounced Sana Tantu in Finnish. With its near supernatural powers, some Finns believe that in every Sana there resides a Sana Elf. These elves are protectors of the Sana and their owners. Like the elf on the shelf, a Sana Elf makes sure that people are behaving. While it's not seen as often today, people used to leave the elves gifts like food or drink. Alright, enough about elves. Let's head to Mexico and learn about Christmas radishes. Radishes originated in the eastern Mediterranean region, China, and Middle Asia. The ancient Greeks prized radishes so much that they made small replicas of them in gold. Radishes were introduced to Mexico by Spanish friars. Over time, the crop became used as a side dish or snack, or carved into decorations for special dishes. Later, during Mexico's colonial period, the radishes were carved with religious themes during the annual Christmas market hosted within the city of Oaxaca. Farmers mainly used the carved radishes as a marketing ploy. It was something to draw attention to their market stand. Eventually, people began buying the radishes not only to eat, but to create centerpieces for Christmas dinners. Radishes have become such a part of the culture in Oaxaca that every year on December 23rd, the city hosts an event called the Night of the Radishes. Legend tells of one year in the mid-18th century when the radish crop was so abundant that a section sat unharvested for months. In December of that year, two friars pulled up some of the radishes and were amused by the size and shape, so they brought them along to the Christmas market on December 23rd. It wasn't until 1897 that the mayor of Oaxaca decided to create a formal radish carving competition. It's been a yearly event ever since. Throughout the nearly 130 years, various types of radishes have been used for both eating and carving. As time goes on, participants get more and more creative. If you were to stop by the Night of the Radishes this year, you might see a full nativity scene made from radishes, or giant monsters and animals. The radishes used are specially grown and filled with chemicals to help them achieve perfect carving size. The unfortunate part of the event is that all the hard work only lasts for a few hours before it begins to wither away. Moving nearly 5,000 miles northeast, we arrive in Iceland. To better explain Icelandic Christmas-related folklore, I'll begin by reading a bit of a poem entitled Jólas Bernanir and written by Johannes Urkotlum. The title of the poem translates to Yule Lads, or possibly Christmas Boys. Unlike most other countries that only have one Santa Claus, Iceland has 13 that take turns visiting children during the 13 nights leading up to Christmas Eve. Let me tell the story of the lads of few charms, who once upon a time used to visit our farms. Thirteen altogether, these gents in their prime, didn't want to irk people all at one time. They came from the mountains, as many of you know, in a long single file to the farmsteads below. Creeping up all stealth, they unlocked the door, the kitchen and the pantry they came looking for. Gryla was their mother. She gave them ogre milk, and the father, Lepaluti, a loathsome ilk. They hid where they could with a cunning look or sneer, ready with their pranks when people weren't near. They were called the Yuletide lads. At Yuletide they were due and always came one by one, not ever two by two. These thirteen Santas, known as the Yule Lads, are mountain-dwelling characters and monsters who come to town during Christmas. While they leave gifts, the stories are directed at children and are used to scare them into good behavior. 
The folklore includes both mischievous pranksters who leave gifts during the night and monsters who eat disobedient children. The parents, Gryla and Lepalui, stay back in the family cave. The mother, Gryla, is an ogress who has an insatiable appetite for naughty children, which she cooks in a large pot. Lepalui is considered lazy and doesn't play a big part in the tale. Speaking of tales, there's also the Yule Cat that kids need to worry about. The Yule Cat is a huge, monstrous cat who patrols the snowy countryside looking for people to eat. But not just any people, only those who have not received new clothes to wear for Christmas. The Yule Lads each have bizarre names that go along with their particular brand of harassment. It should be noted that when they first appeared in the 1600s, they were pure evil. Over time, they've softened a bit into mildly naughty tricksters. Let us meet the 13 monster Santas. Sheepcoat Claude arrives on December 12th. As his name might suggest, he likes to sneak into your barn and steal milk from your sheep. Next up, we have Gullygawk, who prefers cow milk. On the 14th, Stubby joins in on the fun. He's the shortest of the Yule lads and likes to steal leftover food from frying pans. Then we get Spoon Licker on December 15th, followed by Pot Licker. Spoon Licker licks all of your spoons clean, of course, while Pot Licker steals your unwashed pots from the kitchen so he can lick them clean. Then we get Bowl Licker, who finds all the bowls underneath your bed and eats what's left inside. The 18th of December brings about Door Slammer, who will continue to slam your doors until they're all closed. The 8th Yule Lad is Skier Gobbler. This fella is crazy for the Icelandic yogurt known as Skier. He'll take all that you have in your home. Next up comes Sausage Swiper, who will no doubt devour any links or patties you have lying around. From there, things get a little darker, as Window Peeper makes an appearance on December 21st. The creepiest Yule Lad likes to look in your windows while you sleep. Next up comes the large-nosed Door Sniffer, sniffing doorways in pursuit of baked goods. On December 23rd, Meat Hook pays all the homes a visit. He's hungry for any kind of meat that you might have. And finally, on Christmas Eve, we get Candle Beggar, who snatches up all the candles you have in your home. While each Yule Lad has his own weird fetish, they're known to leave gifts for any children who remember to leave a shoe or boot on their windowsill. If the Yule Lad finds out that you've been naughty in any way, they might leave you a rotten potato, or worse yet, haul you back to their mother in the cave. We now find ourselves wassailing our way to Wales. First off, let's find out what wassailing is. In England, it means to sing carols from house to house at Christmas, and to drink heavily whilst doing so. The custom known as the Mary Lloyd was first recorded in 1800. The Mary Lloyd is a wassailing folk custom found in South Wales. It sounds a lot like caroling, and it is, except when you're wassailing, someone brings along the skull of a horse attached to a long wooden pole, like a hobby horse. The person carrying the hobby horse also hides under a sackcloth to finish the look of the horse. According to legend, the men would travel in groups, including the leader, the horse, and the rest of the crew dressed in costume. As the men approached the houses, they would request entry into a home via song. The homeowners would then deny them entry, also through song. This goes back and forth until the homeowner relents and allows the group of men in for food and drink. The official wassling song is one you've heard before, I'm sure. Here is the U.S. Army Band singing it. Here we come a-wassling among the leaves so green. 
Oh, here we come, a wandering so fair to be seen. Love and joy come to you, and to you your wassail too. And God bless you and send you a happy new year. And God send you a happy new year. And here is an even older Welsh version. Well, the man in the world goes on. Some of the lyrics include, If you've gone to bed too early in a vengeful spirit, Oh, get up again good-naturedly tonight. The large sweet cake with all kinds of spices, Oh, cut generous slices this Christmas tide. Oh, tap the barrel and let it flow freely. Don't share it meanly this Christmas tide. In Sweden, it's all about goats. The Yule goat has been Sweden's Christmas symbol dating back to the times of ancient pagan festivals. In 1966, someone began erecting a giant straw goat in the middle of Gavla, Sweden. The straw Yule goat is now referred to as the Gavli goat. Each year, a 42-foot-high goat is constructed that weighs nearly four tons. There are live streams of the goat being built that you can watch online. I'll try to link it to my website, curator135.com. Unfortunately, because there are people all over the world who don't want us to have nice things, the gobbly goat has been the subject of repeated arson attacks. As of last year, 38 of the 57 goats have been completely destroyed in some fashion. It's become such a problem that the Court of Appeals has attached a mandatory prison sentence to the Swedish Grinches that commit the crime. Our friends in Japan don't even celebrate Christmas on a national scale. But thanks to Kentucky Fried Chicken, even the Japanese have Christmas traditions. In 1974, the tradition of a warm KFC Christmas dinner began. The Colonel ran a marketing campaign that year, which he called Kurosumasu Niwa Kentucky, or Kentucky for Christmas. Ever since then, KFC's chicken has caused hours-long waits for food on Christmas. People order their meals months in advance. In Norwegian folklore, Christmas Eve is a time for mischievous spirits and witches to take over the skies and play their tricks on the unsuspecting public. Because a witch's main mode of transportation is a broom, it's traditional for Norwegian families to hide all of their brooms in a place where the witches won't find them. Folks in Denmark like to decorate their homes with superstitious characters known as Nise. Nise, it is believed, provide protection for a home and its occupants. According to tradition, Nisei either lives somewhere in your home or a barn if you have one. If your Nisei feel as if they're treated well, they protect the family and any animals from evil and misfortune. The real nice Nisei may also help with chores and farm work while you sleep. The best thing you can do to keep your Nisei happy is to leave a traditional bowl of porridge for him on Christmas Eve. If you offend your Nisei in some way, look out. They're short-tempered little gnomes. Once they feel insulted, they will usually play tricks, steal items, and even maim or kill your livestock. Aside from the Nisei, Danish families are known to move their Christmas tree to the center of the room on Christmas Eve, and then dance around the tree while singing Christmas carols. We'll wrap up our Strange Traditions world tour with a stop in Austria for one of my favorites, Krampus. If you've never heard of or seen an image of Krampus, let me try and describe the creature. The name Krampus is believed to be either Bavarian, meaning dead or rotten, or German, meaning claw. Either way, it's not great, and if you combine the two, you get rotten claw. 
The Krampus, in most legends, is considered to be a half-goat, half-demon monster. It's horned and hairy, with piercing eyes and a long tongue. On his back, you'll find a wicker basket, which is how he transports the naughty children. Think of Krampus as an enforcer for the Christmas boss, Santa. While Krampus Day is officially December 5th, it's believed that Krampus and Claus travel together on the 6th, with good old Saint Nick dishing out gifts to the good boys and girls, while Krampus hits the naughty ones with his birch rod and will sometimes haul you away if your behavior warrants it. Krampus Day, or Krampusnacht, as it's called there, is celebrated with dozens of men in scary costumes taking to the streets in a sort of demonic parade. Parents take their children there in an attempt to scare them straight. Krampus is so popular that he's worked his way into American culture. Krampusnacht is celebrated in Washington, D.C., as well as St. Louis. Toronto hosts an annual Krampus Ball, and San Francisco has a Krampus Crawl. Chicago and Los Angeles each have a Krampus Fest, while Dallas has its own Krampus Society. Krampus has been the subject of at least 10 movies, with two more on the way. 2015's Krampus movie, a horror comedy from Universal Pictures, made four times its budget and is considered to be a decent horror film in most circles. Krampus has made appearances in Scooby-Doo, American Dad, Robot Chicken, and Teen Titans Go, as well as being featured on the new Santa Claus's show on Disney+. There have been books, graphic novels, as well as video game appearances. Krampus, out of any of the above-mentioned traditions and folklore, is the one Americans have embraced the most. So spice things up this Christmas. Terrorize your children a bit more. Scare them into being good if nothing else is working. Shove a potato in their stocking. Lick some bowls and spoons. Carve some radishes. Eat some KFC. You can make absolutely anything a tradition in your own household. And who knows, it might catch on. Did I miss any big ones? Do you have any traditions or beliefs that others might find strange? Let me know, Nathan, at Curator135.com. I'll make sure to post some photos of these traditions on my website, Curator135.com. Thank you to all the patrons who are supporting the show on Patreon. I couldn't do this without you guys. Thank you to Dave, David, Jim, Marie, Laura, Vicky, and Chris for all being a part of the team. If you'd like to become a patron of this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash curator135. There are three tiers of support, or you can name your own donation. Please like, follow, and subscribe to Curator135 on Instagram, TikTok, X, Facebook, and YouTube. And don't forget about all the great merchandise available at the shop. I'll have some new designs coming soon. If you enjoyed this or any of my other podcast episodes, don't forget to leave a five-star review. As always, thank you for listening. And remember, be good to one another and be creative. The world needs you. One, four, three.